Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bakarbanu Mikol Amin, Venatan Lanu Etorato, Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah, Amen. Baruch Abav Hashem Adonai. Well, shalom everybody, and I am Drashen on the fly. Yes, I are. So, uh, everything's cool. Eyes are on the destination, and uh, everything's all alert. So, I just want to drop some things from all of my gleanings this week, and just because my heart is just boiling over, my arc reactor, as it were, is just boiling over of excitement, joy, gratitude, um, tears of just crying because I don't know why, so... Yeah, that's happening. I didn't think that was possible for that, but yes, you can literally have tears and not know why you're crying. Somewhere in between excited and just yearning and then just mind-blown, bewildered, you know, like uh, that Hashem would give us such an opportunity to know Him and all His ways, like... Man, like, that is absolutely just the epitome of greatness, you know? Because when you really think about who we are as human beings, it's just, like, we're so, like, inconsistent. You know, even in our consistency, we're inconsistent. But Teshuva is the most consistent thing that we can do. And that's what Hashem requires of us. Literally, um, this is brought down, compliments of each Pelah, compliments of the little Midrash says, yes, they do have it, the little Midrash says, i.e., the Midrash says in child form, so the Na'ar says, pretty much, is what you can basically call that, because, you know, we here in Judaism, we start our ninjas off as infants, so as soon as they know how to talk and listen you know, we start giving them ninja stars, apparently. So, uh, yeah, but anyway, I digress. And the little Midrash says, what the Kohen says to a candidate for being a Medzorah, being a person afflicted with Zaharat, is, behold, your time for repentance has come. So you need to basically repent. Before Hashem, whether you know if you have Zaharat or not. And I'm going to use the word Zaharat because I think it's really important we get away from leprosy. Because it just muddies the water. And, you know, for semantics, yes, get that. But Zaharat, if you really know what you're looking at, literally the word Zaharat, we were just looking at some of the connotations of the word Zaharat. I mean, you have three letters. You have Zadi, Resh, Ayin. That's the root that we're looking at. When you look at Zadi, Resh, Ayin, you have connotations of the leper Mashiach, like the Mashiach of Zaharat, i.e. the one who is outside the community. Hence why those of us who believe in Mashiach are outside the community. Hence why a person who has Zaharat is outside of the community. And it's just like, what is happening to a person who has Zaharat other than them taking self-introspection, 
drawing closer to Hashem, and Bezrat Hashem making Teshuvah. And then you have connotations of Zeroah, which, yes, is spelled with a Zayin instead of a Sadi, but the Sadi and the Zayin, according to the Targumim, are interchangeable, just like the Sin and the Samic are interchangeable. So when you start looking at this, you have this connotation and this picture of the arm of Hashem is actually afflicted with Za'arat, which I think is really important when you look back to the account of Moshe before Hashem at the burning bush, and he sticks his Zeroah, his arm, inside his garment, and he pulls it out, and it's afflicted with Za'arat. You know, and it's just kind of like, where did that come from? And it's just like, so Moshe has the mantle and the semblance of the Redeemer who's afflicted with Zaharat upon him. At the same time, he puts his hand back in the cloak, which would be likened to putting Mashiach's body into the tomb, and then it coming back out. And guess what? It was no longer Zaharat. And get this, when Mashiach Yeshua returns, he will not have Zaharat. There's going to come a point in time was we learn in Sanhedrin 98 in the Talmud, Bobli, that Mashiach sits at the gates of Rome and he's wrapping his leprous bandages, his bandages of Zaharat, that he's one at a time, one sore at a time, undoing the bandage and rewrapping. Because when the Shem says, it's time for you to go, it's time for you to go and get my people and gather them in, you will no longer need to wrap the bandages. You will no longer need to take upon yourselves all the afflictions, all the diseases, and all the sicknesses of the world because the fullness of the nations has now come in. All sickness that was ever possible to have upon all of mankind, it is now done. That time is now up. So please go get my children who are now to appear before me so that I can pronounce them pure. Because you have been there seven days of being outside of the community and being cleansed and purified of your Zaharat. That's why Parsha Metzorah this week starts with on the day of his purification. This is the Torah of the Metzorah. You know, so it's just kind of like, the connotations of Mashiach Yeshua's return are so much more imminent. And if you go through the Aliyah day this week, every single day is just out of control. And yes, I'm talking about Rabbi Griffin of Sar Shalom, of Lapid. And he has the Aliyah day where he breaks down each portion of the Torah portion on a daily basis and what's called an Aliyah, hence why it's called an Aliyah day. So he's breaking all this down, and if you keep listening to all the commentary, Rabbi Monk, the 2K Kotum, like, it's all about bringing Mashiach. It's all about the redemption. It's all about what happened in Tazria being connected to the Mizorah. So Tazria is all about conceiving, giving birth, it also is a term for sowing seed, i.e. doing good deeds. And again, 
Masekit Sanhedrin 98 brings down that one of the ways that makes us worthy of the redemption is to sow good deeds. Like if we are people of chesed, you know, we talked about the three pillars of Torah, chesed, which is good uh, good deeds, kind deeds, avoda, which is prayer, service to Hashem, literally uh, sacrificing ourselves to Hashem on a daily basis with our life service. And then you have Torah, which is obviously learning the Torah, the written and the oral, Mashiach, all of the writings that are involved with that and everything that Hashem manifests in our life is also called Torah. So if we're wondering why we need to put the book down, go out and go to work, put the book down, go do chores, go out, put the book down, go out and talk to people, interact with the world, that's because that's another form of studying Torah. So all of those things make us worthy of the redemption. So hence we have, through the Aliyah Day and all the commentaries and the sources and actually what's going on on the Jewish calendar right now, must I mention again, as I've mentioned in every single podcast this week, Shabbat, coming up this week is Shabbat Haggadol. The great Shabbat. The Shabbat that commemorates and memorializes, brings to remembrance when we were in Egypt and Hashem said, the leader of each household, the head of each household, go select a lamb or a kid for your house to offer the Corbin Pesach on the night of the 14th of Nisan going into the 15th of Nisan. Select your lamb. And as the Torah to Pesora class, we were talking about the fact that this is around the time that Mashiach came riding in on a donkey, which Masechet Sanhedrin 98 says that Mashiach is going to come two ways. He's either going to come riding on a donkey as a poor pauper, if we do not merit it, and he will come on the clouds of glory, as written in Daniel chapter 7, if we merit it. So here we are, choosing our lamb or our kid, which, by the way, that connects Pesach with Yom Kippur, and it connects it all together with Sukkot. Furthermore, it connects to the Tikkunim for the original sin. The original sin of Yosef, selling Yosef. The brothers took the garments of Yosef and dipped it in kid's blood. Literally, kid of the goat. And then you got the fact that the lamb is likened to Yaakov as brought down in the Midrash Rabbah, Parsha um, Vayaki, which is, uh, and he lived. The whole story and backdrop behind why Yaakov did not want to be buried in Egypt, because number one, he would be worshipped. Number two, the god of the Egyptians, one of them, was the lamb. Then you got the fact that if Yaakov, who represented the lamb, who was likened to the lamb that the Egyptians considered a god, when Yaakov came to Egypt, all the plagues stopped. All the famine that was going on stopped. So the famine was cut short on account of Yaakov coming to Egypt and blessing Pharaoh. But I digress because Yaakov did not want to be buried in Egypt because he would be worshipped in his death 
too. This sounds really familiar. Like Mashiach is worshipped in his death. I can't think of anything like something called a crucifix where like the dead body of the Messiah is like hung up in a very high place that is ever before the congregation and people bow down to it and sing songs about it and in some uh, establishments it's literally hung at a tilt so that it's considered to hover over you like the spirit of Hashem that, or the spirit of Mashiach as Rashi and Ramban quote that hovered over the waters you know and the congregation of Hashem is likened to a people who are fruitful and multiply like fish and fish swim in the water so Mashiach covered over the waters very disruptive and distorted picture but you know anyway it's got to come from somewhere right so that's all sourced out via Torah but anyway the dead body of Mashiach dead body of Yaakov you know lamb people worshipping it and it ending plagues and famines and whatnot. so Yaakov was like Please do not connect me with the Egyptians. Put me back in the land of Israel, please. Think about that with Mashiach. Take the JC, who is truly a kosher Shomer Jew, named Yeshua ben Yosef, because, you know, he was ben Yosef, and you bring him back to Israel. Bring him back to the Jewish community. I mean, come on. It's been at least two days right now. Talking about 2,000 years. A day is like a 1,000 years, right? So, you know, 2,000 years, two days. Then in Parsha Miketz, because Yosef was uh, imprisoning his brothers until they went back to the father to go get Benjamin to bring him, you know, they left Shimeon there. And uh, before that even, Yosef locked all the brothers up that came. Minus Benjamin, because Benjamin was still with Yaakov. And it says he locked him up for a period of about two to three days, literally. And then he freed them so that he could send them back. But he kept Shimeon. And from that, the Midrash Rabbah extracts that Hashem will not allow the righteous to suffer for no more than three days. So it's going to be either three days or less that a righteous person is going to be called to suffer, i.e., we're approaching the third day. I mean, obviously, we still got a few hundred years to go, but, I mean, if we're just looking, you know. But anyway, no more than no more than three days. So it's not, we're not even going to be able to get to the third day, which harkens to Yonah in the belly of the great fish, commonly called the well, and he was in there for less than three days. This is why Yeshua says, I'm going to give you the sign of Yonah. Because my my death and resurrection is not going to be a full three days, but it will be three days. Towards the Pesora, we brought this down, that the day something happens, whether it is sundown or before sunset, that counts as a day. So, literally, if you are on a prep day, and prep day starts on the night of the day before it. So on our American calendar here, Thursday night begins Friday or prep day as opposed to in the Hebrew calendar. So you have this idea where prep day is going to actually start the previous night before. But whether something happened on Thursday night 
or Friday before sunset, that counts as one day. Mashiach was literally offered on the 14th of Nisan, and that's also in Tractate Sanhedrin in the Talmud that some person named Jay was actually from the house of David, and he was hung on the 14th of Nisan. That's in there. It's around uh, Tractate 45, so have fun searching that out. But anyway, it's in there. Some translations edited it out because that's way too close to you-know-who. But anyway, that's happening on the 14th of Nisan. So it was before sundown, before the Seder even started, before candles were even lit, his body was offered, it was taken down, quickly wrapped up in a white sheet like we do the hala or the matzah. In this case, it would have been matzah because we're going into Pesach. So Mashiach's body, not only is it bread, but it is unleavened bread, which matzah is barely bread, but less than leavened bread. So it's not even technically not bread or technically like full-blown, sprouted, risen hummus bread. It's like that, that tipping point. So like the perfect amount. That's what Mashiach's body represents. But anyway, I digress. I'm taking that from the Haggadah that I've been studying. And uh, that's a, a whole thing about the poor man's bread. And Mashiach being likened to a poor man because he rode in riding on a donkey. Again, check they said he's 98. Okay, so Mashiach's body's wrapped up just like that matzah and put into the tomb. And that was all done on the 14th of Nisan. So that is day one. Then you got the 15th of Nisan which is the actual day of Pesach, that's day two. Then you got the 16th of Nisan, which is day three. And on the 16th of Nisan is a little known festival. Well, not really little known, but if you study Torah, it's bigly known. But if you don't study Torah, now you know that the 16th of Nisan is a festival. And on the ninth of the 16th of Nisan is when we start counting the Omer. Yes, like literally the time that Mashiach is coming forth from the grave, from the tomb is when we start counting the Omer. Now, obviously, during the time of the temple, the Omer would have been offered on the daylight hours of this time frame because the day starts at night. But Mashiach, this is great precedence for Mashiach being resurrected on a night because, as we brought down in Torah to Pesora, the precedent is Adam and Hava were kicked out of the garden at Havdalah coming out of Shabbat and back into a normal day of the week. And I'm going to just submit, possibly, that that could have been the first day of the week. Because Hashem heals with the same thing that wounds. So if it was a Havdalah going into the first day of the week, i.e. a Yom Rishon, leaving a Shabbat, that's when mankind was kicked out of the garden. How about mankind being brought back into the garden, i.e. through Mashiach Yeshua, who comes in to the garden during Havdalah on the first day of the week, i.e. Yom Rishon. Which is why they, the ladies could now come to the tomb of Mashiach and take proper care of his body now. But just so happens Mashiach's body isn't there because how do you kill life and resurrection? You don't. You suspend the animation of it is what you do. Just like the body of Yaakov, he, his body is, is considered to have not even died. His eyes, according to the Midrash, literally opened when they, when, he, when they got to the tomb 
and Aesop comes out and is like, no, Yaakov can't be buried here, don't have the rights to this property, he took my birthright, he ain't taking my burial spot, and the brothers are all like, uh, yeah, you sold the grave when you sold your firstborn rights, and he's just like, y'all don't have any proof, where's the paper, where's the documentation, so they dispatch uh, the fast guy, Naftali, who sounds like Maserati, and he speeds back, literally, by running like the Flash. That's where the Flash came from. And he goes and gets the document. In the meantime, uh, a descendant from the tribe of Dan comes out and says, Hey, what's going on? I can't really hear that well. I can't really see that well. But there's a delay on putting my grandfather in the tomb so that his body could be brought to rest. And they're like, Oh, yeah, just just need to know Aesop's just up to his old antics, you know, trying to keep the Jews out of Israel you know, stuff like that, trying to keep people who believe in Messiah from the Torah, you know, stuff like that. But anyway, and homeboy, his name is Husham, which is really close to Humash. So the Humash comes out and clubs Asav over the head, and there's two opinions. He either knocked his head off or he knocked out his eyes, which consequently killed him. And his eyes rolled into the tomb, or his head rolled into the tomb, whichever way you want to go with it. It's still bad. He was headed in the wrong direction, either way. And it says at that particular point, with the death of Esau, the eyes of Yaakov opened, and he smiled, and his eyes closed. So, yeah, suspended animation much? Okay, but anyway... Just want to bring that out that the day the downfall of Edom is the day the eyes of Yisrael, i.e. Yaakov, will be open. May it be soon in our days, so that we can all have a family reunion. And Okay. Anyway, so Hashemayim being Eretz Yisrael in the third temple. Amen. So anyway, we need that to happen like yesterday. So Hashem, if you could please. Help us out with that. That would be greatly appreciated. Um, anyway, just want to bring that down. So now, let's go all the way back to my uh, my main point here. So I'm just kind of bringing down some gleanings, headed towards Shabbat Hagadol. Shabbat Hagadol is vitally important for us to really take self-introspection and really ask Hashem to make us worthy of the redemption and ask Him to actually bring it. There's been many generations before us. It's been over 2,000 years. Slika. Modern rabbinim, modern rabbis, are saying Mashiach is late. What is that all about? How are you going to tell somebody who doesn't know the time or the hour that he's late? But anyway, so the cool thing is Hashem listens to us. That's right, Hashem. With our hearts aligned to His will, with our flesh and our blood being made into dust and ashes, us crying out before Hashem like little kids, because, you know, we need to become like little children that we may partake of the kingdom of heaven. So us crying out like little children to Hashem saying, Hey, Abba, are you, are you coming to redeem us? Abba, can you come pick us up? Abba, I've been waiting for you. I'm looking for you. Abba. My heart yearns for you, Abba. My heart's broken because I'm not with you. Abba, where are you? 
Abba, where are you? Baruch Abba Shem Adonai. That's the connotations of that. The connotation of us saying the prayer for the rebuilding of the temple at the end of our Amidah. We're saying that three times a day. I mean, come on. And then the connotations of the Elenu. Okay, the whole fact that we say the Elenu. That's also what we're saying. Abba, please. We need you. We miss you. We're scared. We want want to come home. We want you. And this is all connected to Parsha Mazar because the only reason we're in exile is because we decided to improperly use our speech, i.e. baseless hatred, i.e. the epitome of Lashon Hara, which is what causes Zaharat. Moshe is said to be afflicted with Zaharat because, literally at the burning bush, because he said something of Lashon Hara about Hashem's people, Yisrael. And Hashem was like, well, you know, you're standing before the Kohen right now, and I have to diagnose you with Zaharat because you decide to speak Lashon Hara, and you have baseless hatred. You don't know anything about these people, truly. Do you? Can you discern between the, the bone and the marrow, between the skin and the flesh? Can you get down to that point like the Word of God who is active and sharper than any two-edged sword? Anyway, um, and this is some cool things that Dr. Sakal brought down about an article he found that codifies the different appearances of Zaharat in the Tanakh, one of them being Moshe, one of them being Paro, one of them being um, Miriam, who she spoke Lashon Hara against Moshe, and she was smitten with Zaharat, that ain't good. And uh, this week's Torah portion, Mezora, goes into Zaharat appears in three different places, depending on if we're listening to the voice of Hashem or not. First, it comes on your house, which i got to say the house of the Jewish people is not only the Jewish people, but it's also the temple. It's the house for many people, for all people. My house should be called a house of prayer for all people. Sometimes it's commonly said all nations. But what makes up a nation is a people. Anyway, if it doesn't if it doesn't cause you to make the shuba there, then it comes on your garments. Okay, and garments, according to Hasidus, is called your thoughts, your speech, and your deeds. What are we doing in our mind? What are we doing with our lips? What are we doing with our hands? Is it any wonder why we have to immerse ourselves in a mikvah as much as possible because our thought, speech, and deed needs to get clean, right? But anyway, so Zaharat is going to appear on your clothing if you don't make teshuva, and then if that doesn't work, then it's going to appear on your skin. Now, I'm going to source this hatred this because I can't remember the exact location but I'm sure you can figure this out. And if I was in my laboratory of sources, I would be able to put this in front of my face, but since I'm on the fly, it's not. Uh, it says that like Zaharat on the skin of a Yehudi is a proselyte, is a convert. Converts are likened to sores or Zaharat afflictions of the skin of a Jewish person, someone who is literally in covenant with Hashem, 
it's like when someone converts to Judaism, they feel like they got leprosy. Like, the nation of Israel is like, oh, my gosh, like, why do we have this skin disease? Why do we have to be associated with this? Now I got to lose my place in the community, and I got to go dwell outside the cloud or outside the camp because I got leprosy now. You know, God's all right. And it's just like, so Mashiach Yeshua is totally sitting outside the camp. The Shekinah is totally sitting outside the camp. So what are we doing? We better be taking on leprosy, which means, oh, my goodness, we need to be making converts. And then I believe it's track tape as a king. So one more source of hatred for now is that why are we sent into exile, i.e. outside of the camp? We're only sent into exile for the sake of making proselytes, converts. Okay? So all of us should be afflicted with leprosy right now. Not because we're doing Lashon Hara, but because we're making proselytes, which is a tikkun for Lashon Hara, because if you think about what is Lashon Hara, it's actually tearing down and destroying the soul and body of a person. And what is making proselytes? It is re uh, resurrecting the soul and body of a person, because you become literally a new creation. You become born again, all of that. Okay, which means body and soul. You're made new. This is why we put our physical body in a spiritual body of water called a mikvah. And what we do in a mikvah is called tavel. So if someone say tavila mikvah, if someone says tavila mikvah, that means to immerse in a mikvah. So Yokanan the immerser is actually Yokanan the toveler. Literally, if you want to say it grammatically correct, Yokanan hatovel. The one who tovels. Yochanan, his name literally means grace. So now you have the pleading of grace that immerses you. And this is what you do in a mikvah. And Yochanan's mikvah is called the mikvah of Teshuva. And then you have Mashiach, which is the next mikvah that you enter into right after you mikvah with Yochanan. Yochanan says, I immerse you and water, but the one who comes after me is going to immerse you in fire in the Ruach HaKodesh. And where does fire and water appear in Jewish commentary and insights, none other tend to describe the Torah, the living word, the living water, the fiery law of Hashem, His right hand. The right hand of Hashem is fire and water. And now, let's go back to this right hand is also called the Zoroah, which has the same root as Metzora or Za'arat. Okay? The right arm of Hashem, which is fire and water, is is afflicted with Za'arat, which means it makes converts, which means it immerses us, which means it is the offering that we have on our Seder plate called the lamb shank bone, which speaks to the Pesach lamb that was roasted which is likened to the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. And why was the Beit HaMikdash destroyed? Because of Lashon Hara, baseless hatred. So you got all that literally rolled into one. That literally is the bone that Hashem has to pick with us. So, I mean, just think about all that goodness. You know, so when we're sitting down at our Seder, 
we're sitting down and putting our life in order. Because when you look at the fact of what does the word Seder mean? Seder is likened to Sidur, which is order. And this is why a Sidur is a order of prayer. And why is there an order of prayer in the Sidur? Because it's all based off the order of prayer and service that was going on in the Beit HaMikdash. So a Seder and a Sidur bring us back into order to put us back in a semblance of the temple, which may that be made manifest feeling and soon in our days, so that instead of having a Sidur, we can be the Sidur, because everything that we recite in the Sidur, we are going to physically do in the temple. And this is all bringing our life in order, but it starts with a Seder, because how did the children of Israel get to the temple? How did we get to the temple? We had to first leave Egypt. We had to first leave materiality and slavery. You realize materiality is the word chomer or chomrut, which is the same word as donkey. Chomer and chomer. Chomer or chamor is donkey. Chomer is materiality. So Mashiach Yeshua riding on a donkey is Mashiach Yeshua riding on top of the exile to bring us into redemption. So we need to get outside of being a donkey. And how do you get outside of being a donkey? I'm glad you asked. Go to Parsha Bo and see about what you do with a donkey. You have to redeem it with a lamb. You have to become Yisrael because Yisrael Yaakov is likened to a lamb. Which again, bring that back to the lamb and Mashiach, Yaakov and Mashiach, both of them. Though they died, they didn't really die. And you have to become like Israel, become into the land, and all of that, right? Okay, Brukashem. So now, uh, just kind of thinking of some things with, you know, other things that I learned this week. Uh, Rabbi Truman brings down the fact that the redemption happens in the month of the springtime. Oh, to finish my thought real quick. To get to the temple, you have to leave Egypt. So that has to be very, very understood. Uh, Egypt is Mitzrayim, which literally is Mezarim, which is in a place of confinement, narrow straits. And if you look at all of that, you know, you have to leave a place of bondage to get into freedom. And the freedom of Hashem is likened to bondage because the bondage that Hashem puts us under, i.e. the yoke of Mashiach, because he says you have to Come to me, take my yoke upon you, which is the yoke of the kingdom. So you may hear this thing called Kabbalat Ol or Kabbalas Ol, which means acceptance of the yoke of heaven. That is what Mashiach was talking about in Matthew chapter 11. Take my yoke upon you. Take upon yourself the yoke of the kingdom, the yoke of Torah, which means there's a space. And I'm so glad we're talking about space because one of the names of Hashem is called space, which is Hamakom. And we just read in the Haggadah that Hamakom is called the one who draws us near. So when you get in the space of Hashem, he draws you near to himself. So then you got all that going on. And um, so, yeah, you got to get out of Egypt so you can get to the temple. But there's a step that you have to take before that, which is entering into Torah, which you step before that. 
you have to go through the mikvah. You step before that, you go through what's called milah, which is a circumcision. You know, you have to get rid of that which entices you to do evil, which is the whole meaning behind the physical commandment and mitzvah of removing the hametz from your house, from your space of habitation. Everything within us that desires to be angry, haughty, um, think that we're better than somebody else, just causes us to just spew out Lashon Hara, that's got to go. That's got to get burned in literal fire, okay? And so, you know, again, the Torah is fire, so you bring all that in subjugation to the Torah, which is yoking yourself with Mashiach Yeshua. you got to get rid of that because you don't take homage with you out of Egypt because the children of Israel only had enough time for the dough and the water to become a form of bread that did not get a chance to leaven, but it was made into matzah cakes. And that is the same thing that's placed on the showbread table in the temple, which is called the king's bread, which is the table literally of the sustenance of the king. So when Mashiach Yeshua says, you must eat my flesh, he's literally talking about eat my bread, which is unleavened, which is removed of anger and haughtiness and all that. If you go to the Torah de Basora class this week, we talked about the first word that led us into the fall of mankind, which was anger. And that's the first word out of the mouth of the serpent. The serpent got us to interact with him, i.e. got us distracted, got us uh, put under heavy weight, got us taking our eyes and unfixing our eyes off of Mashiach Yeshua, the author, perfecter, and finisher, of our Amuna, it got us off track because we heard anger first. So we got hummitzed out of matzah. We got pulled back into Egypt, okay, through that. So you got to get rid of all of that. You got to get rid of that orla, that foreskin, okay? There's a foreskin of our heart, and if you're a guy, there's a foreskin on your flesh. But if you're a woman, you don't have a foreskin. So Mazaltov to you. Help us out, okay? Help us men out with that, all right? Anyway, help us get rid of our foreskin because it's got to happen from the heart and it's got to happen in physicality. So all of that leads us into the temple, which is our habitation in the land of Eretz Israel, which is freeing us from our current exile. So right now, on the, on the calendar, as we're looking at... Uh, Everything that's going on, this is going to bring me back now to Rabbi Trugman, that this is happening during the month of Aviv, which was renamed or overlaid, just like Yisrael was overlaid on Yaakov, because we still call him Yaakov, so technically we can call this month Aviv, or we can be real spiritual and say, and this shall be the first month for you, because some people, this is not their first month, some people... This is the spring equinox, and it's time to celebrate the bunny that's laying eggs. Or wait, he didn't lay eggs because he stole them from the chicken, because bunnies don't lay eggs. And furthermore, bunnies are uh, in the Looney Tunes series of cartoons, and there's one bunny who stands out above all the rest, the bunny of bunnies, if you will, and that is Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny is the classic primordial, if you will, of the Looney Tune universe, uh, trickster, swindler, the one who literally is snake oil. <laughs> like, it's just like, 
don't get into a deal with Bugs Bunny because it will not work out in your favor. So why are we going to liken the Pesach festival of Mashiach that is a seven-day festival, collapse it down into one day, well, kind of three days, because we're going to probably say that, well, we can call this Good Friday because that's the day he was crucified. And I know that's the beginning of Pesach, but we don't want to mention any Jewish stuff. And so then we're going to say, well, he had to be in the grave for the second day, and then we'll go ahead and just say he was resurrected on that following Sunday. So we'll call that Resurrection Sunday, which is all about this this bunny who lays eggs, which is why that day is called Schmeister, okay? Because it all tells you about the story of why this rabbit is laying an egg because it's connected to a goddess who had to be proved as a valid deity because this this rabbit that doesn't normally lay an egg lays an egg. And then why does the egg die and why is there an egg hunt? Because you have to go and give that egg to Mother Nature. You have to go bury it in the ground. You have to go put it somewhere so that Mother Nature can be receptive to you and be all nice to you and stuff. And the blood, or Sleeka, well, a Freudian slip because, spoiler alert, the dye of the egg comes from the blood of little children who the egg used to be dipped in so that they can do their egg hunt. So the color eggs and the egg hunt and all that kind of stuff, and with the Schmeister and all of that, we're now taking the festival that's about the life of the resurrection and getting out of exile, and we're now turning it over here to this. So now we're back to eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, when we should be spitting that fruit out and saying, Hashem, I'm so sorry, because remember, the day that we selected the lamb was the same day as Yom Kippur on the flip side of the calendar, because Nisan and Tishrei are the two first months that parallel each other on the calendar, okay? So the 10th day of the first month was Shabbat Haggadol when we were in Egypt, and the 10th day of the first month in Tishrei is Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur and Shabbat Haggadol are the same, which Rabbi Trugman brings down that this, this same day, regardless of if it's Yom Kippur or Shabbat Haggadol, Shabbat Haggadol, by the way, is not always on the 10th of Nisan, but it was on the very first time that we selected the lamb to get out of Egypt. So we're sticking with case precedent. So please don't let that trip you up. Both days are about Meserus Hanefesh, about sacrificing your soul, laying down your life, i.e. being an Akidah for Hashem. Literally, you're offering up your soul to Hashem. You're afflicting yourself because... When the children of Israel selected that lamb, the Egyptians were like, hey, what are y'all doing? This is really weird. You're taking our God around on a chain or a rope, and you're leading him to a place of sacrifice. Like Mashiach Yeshua, who was led, and I'm probably sure somebody tied something around him to pull him along just in case he decided to stop, and they didn't want him to. Even though Mashiach marched triumphantly himself, through all of his pain and affliction, he kept going. So, uh, yeah, there's all that. But we took this lamb and we tied it to our bedpost so that when we retired and when we arose, when we retired and when we arose, like when we say, El Melech Neiman, Shema Yisrael. Oh, my goodness. Seriously? The Shema and the lamb are now connected. 
because that's what takes us out of exile. But anyway, it's our Pesach, it's our Corbin, it's our Lamb that we've chosen. So when we're saying the Shema, we're saying to Hashem that we've chosen both of His Mashiachs. That's why there's six words in the first line and six words in the second line, which is Baruch Shem Kavod, Makuto Le'olam Vayed. Two sixes, two vavs. The two vavs, according to the Zohar, represent Mashiach, who is the two Mashiachs, Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, two Mashiachs and one. And so, yeah, there's that. And so, yeah, so the Shema, two Mashiachs, that's why we do it morning and night. And, you know, nighttime is like into the exile. Morning time is like into the redemption. So as we're in exile, we got Mashiach ben Yosef, the night lamb. And then we got in the morning, we got Mashiach ben David, the morning lamb, the redemption. So that's all connected to what's tied around our bedpost. Mashiach, insignificant, or incidentally, I should say, not coincidentally, because there are no coincidences, Mashiach was crucified on a bedpost. This is why the stake, the crucifixion stake, being a post is so important to know, and it's not a cross because the cross wasn't even talked about until hundreds of years later because of some Roman guy who had a dream about a sword and a dagger overlaid, and somehow that was like, oh, yeah, new religion, here we go, ready, Rome, hit it, Catholicism, which didn't really mean that you were a Catholic at first because Catholicism and its original root just means universalism, which means it, it doesn't matter who you are, you're just going to come in. Just kind of like the Torah was the original, authentic, kosher version of universalism because every tribe, every tongue, every nation was supposed to come under leadership of Hashem, who is Echad. But now this universalism over here is like, yeah, we want you to come in under our setup government, which is not really Hashem Echad because Hashem is really one, but like he manifests in like three different people because we don't really want to talk about his many manifestations. We want to talk about his main manifestations, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we're going to get into a whole bunch of other stuff. But anyway, I digress. Mashiach died on a bedpost, okay, on a, on a pillar, on a, a single post, which harkens back to the Mishkan because the Mishkan was surrounded with posts who were likened to Zadokim, who were likened to atonement because those posts were called atonement because they said when Yisrael needed someone to make atonement for them and there was no Mishkan, then Hashem would take one righteous man. He would take one post. He would take a part of the temple. He would take the temple itself as atonement. Okay, so there's like a whole lot of stuff. Just go through the Aliyah a day and it'll take all your worries away. Okay, but anyway... So you do all that, um, literally, Rabbi Griffin has done such a beautiful job. Just start around, no, just, literally, just start at Parsha Teruma and just listen, and you'll get all this sourced out. By the time you get to Parsha Shemini, you won't be able to breathe, I promise, okay? But anyway, Mashiach Yeshua was likened to that lamb that we tied to our bedpost, and that's where he gave up his ghost, okay? And that was our Corbin Pesach, because Mashiach died on Pesach. Which is around the same time, actually, if you parallel it on the calendar of Tishrei, the 14th of Nisan into the 15th of Nisan begins Pesach. The 14th of Tishrei into the 15th of Tishrei begins Sukkot. Uh, Yitzhak was said to be born on the 15th of Nisan. Yeshua was uh, prospected to be born on the 15th of Tishrei. 
So we go into Sukkot with the birth of Messiah, which is the beginning of Hashem tabernacling with us. But even if that's not true, it sounds really amazing, so we should probably just go with that. Just saying, because we know it's not in December, but there's Hanukkah, because that's where the light shone in the darkness, and it's kind of like those who were in great darkness saw a great light, so during the darkest part of the year, Mashiach Yeshua is like walking around in the temple in John chapter 10, talking about being, or Yochanan chapter 10 is where Mashiach was questioned, are you the Mashiach, are you really the great light? So anyway, all of that to say, got to get out of Egypt. And this time that we're on the calendar, the month of Nisan was called the month of Aviv, the month of springtime. So in the month of in the springtime, Hashem took us out of Egypt. He took us out of exile. And isn't it so interesting that every time Pesach rolls around, we're beginning the springtime of the year. And Trugman brought down that spring was actually set and established based off of when the redemption would happen for the Jews, for us, from Egypt. And it's just kind of like, so what came later was established off of what was thought of and determined first, which is why Mashiach being offered as an Akedah, Corbin Pesach, all of the above, at a later time, is based off of what happened first, i.e. the lamb was slain before the foundations of the world were even set. Before creation itself, Mashiach was already slain. So whether he got slain at the beginning or whether he gets slain at the end, which the end of creation is just the beginning of a new creation, just like when we finish the Torah portions, we start in Bereshit again. So you don't ever really end the Torah portion. You don't ever really start the Torah portion if you really think about it. But anyway, so it doesn't matter at what point because whenever it happens, it's still predicated off of what came first, okay? So then that solves the whole reason why the first month is what it is. It's either Nisan or Tishrei because no matter what, they both came first because Hashem thought about the redemption first, but then he brought that into actual action in Tishrei, but... Again, what came later was already based off of what came first. So the whole idea, Hasis even brought this down on one of the Haftarot, that uh, Hashem had creation in mind during the first of Nisan, but he actually made it uh, manifest in Tishrei. So first in thought became, quote-unquote, last in deed kind of thing. So anyway, um, kind of looking at that concept. The the final thing I guess I want to say, because I only have about nine minutes left of this podcast, uh, is I want to say that our words mean so much. We know life and death is in the power of the tongue. Just read Yaakov's writings. He talks about it. And everything about the Medzora and their, their speech, whether it's true or false, there's still consequences. So why not get ourselves out of consequence land and get ourselves into Geula land, like redemption land, because we can use our mouth instead of using it for Lashon Harah, whether we're speaking something true or false. We can use it for Torah. Or we can use it to say, 
Hashem, our Father, who is in Hashemayim, would you please send Mashiach Yeshua in our time soon, and please let it be very, very soon, sooner than later, and please will you build the third temple, please will you gather in as many people as possible so that no one should perish, please transform us all, make us all new at every single every single moment, every single day, every single hour, every single time, like this whole thing. Like, if we spend all of our time using our speech and our words for stuff like that, for things like studying Torah, for things like praying, for things like thinking about praying for those who are sick that we really want to see healed, and we spend our time doing that as opposed to mundane conversation, as opposed to, uh, you know, really pulling down someone's character and their soul through Lashon Hara. Hashem takes very, very much stock in that because, again, you go to Zakin uh, Yosef's class. He brought this down a few weeks ago about Lashon Hara. It literally suspends our prayers in the in the in the air. Like it doesn't even get to make it to the throne of Hashem because we're spending so much time using our speech for negative things, and it's hindering our prayers. So, what does that mean? Change. You know, we have the opportunity, even right now, to make Teshuva, which means today, hear his voice. Today means right now, Hayom Hazeh, in this very moment in time. We can literally, every moment in time, renew ourselves. If we find ourselves somewhere off away from Hashem, and focusing on Mashiach, focusing on loving our neighbors, we love ourselves. If we're somewhere off from that, as soon as we realize it, we get to renew ourselves right there, take a personal mikvah through the name of Hashem, because Hashem himself is the mikvah of Yisrael that's brought down in Yermiyahu's writings, his prophecy, I should say. Because then Yermiyahu talks about Hashem is the hope of Yisrael, which if you look at the Ivrit, it says Hashem is the mikvah of Yisrael. So whenever you return to Hashem, i.e. hearing his voice today, that is likened to taking a mikvah, which means you're born again, which means you just experienced salvation, which means you become a newborn babe, which means you're a new creation. So you can be a new creation at every moment. So the moment we realize ourselves drifted off in our speech, our thoughts, our deeds, our experiences, whatever is happening, we just return back to Hashem right there. And when we do that, we set up what Sanhedrin 98 was talking about, that one of the ways we merit the redemption is through teshuva and good deeds. If we start today hearing his voice, which is also what Eliyahu said to the Rebbe who went to the tomb, or who went to Mashiach at the gates of Rome, Mashiach said, I'll come today. And then he goes back, the Rebbe goes back from talking to Mashiach, goes back to Eliyahu and says, Mashiach lied to me. And Eliyahu's like, well, what did he say? He said, I'll come today. I'll bring the redemption today. And he's just like, but he hasn't come. And Eliyahu said, ah, he said to you today if you hear my voice. So when we get into a habit and a pattern and a lifestyle and a transformed every single moment and hour, and time and moment of renewing ourselves, hearing the voice of Hashem, that's when the redemption happens. 
we can have that happen in our days and in our lifetimes. May it be so. May we do it courageously no matter what we think because Hashem can make all of creation new in the twinkling of an eye. And I believe that. I hope you believe that. And I hope we all know that. And I hope we do that. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu torat emet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. Baruch habab b'shem Adonai. May you have a blessed Shabbat Hagadol as well. Shalom.